Our word this morning is the word grace, right? Grace. Do you have your ping pong balls? Let me see your ping pong balls, all right? I'm going to give you an illustration that I hope will help you remember this sermon, but I hope it'll go beyond this, all right? Um, you can pick up your... <laughs> Do not throw your ping pong balls. I want you to take this and I want you to put it this week in a place where you'll see it and you'll remember the truths of the sermon. I also would ask you to do this, that perhaps maybe you'll go and you'll put today's date on it of saying, Lord, I'm going to trust in your grace. Not in salvation as much, but if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, then it might be a date where you trust the Lord and you say, this is the date where I've trusted the Lord. But, 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 to, but to put into practice the truths about what God says about grace in our life. And there's some incredible truths here. Let me explain to you about the ping pong ball here in a moment. Let's consider, I think, one of the classic definitions of the word grace. And I've heard this for years, but as I reflected on the songs, as I reflected throughout the New Testament of all the times that grace was mentioned, and as I reflected on the illustration that I'm going to give you this morning, this is an excellent definition. And it's grace. There's an acronym. It's God's riches at Christ's expense right? There it is on the, the thing. So remembering what grace is, God's riches at Christ's expense. And what's unfortunate is, as, as American citizens today, as Christians following Christ, when we think about riches, unfortunately, we think about money. Do you realize that God has so much more for us than just the, the physical possessions God's riches at Christ's expense. I've explained this to you before, the difference between grace and mercy. Grace is our receiving something that we do not deserve. Mercy is our not receiving something that we do deserve. Do you understand that? Grace is we, we get something that we don't deserve. Mercy is that we don't get something that we do deserve. God has mercy on us. We're going to be looking at this word, grace. If you look at verses 11, 12, and 13, what's interesting here is that in verse number 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared. That goes back to Jesus. That goes back to the past. There's three tenses that he uses in this verse. In verse 12, grace teaches us or trains us. That's something in the present. In verse 13, grace helps us to wait for our blessed hope. That's something in the future. There's like three tenses as he's talking about grace here. Past grace, Christ died on the cross for your sins and offers you the gift of salvation. Present grace, catch this, that God empowers us to live a transformed life today and future grace God instills in us the hope that he's preparing a wonderful place and that we'll have the opportunity to be with him forever looking unto Jesus looking for that opportunity to be with Christ C.S. Lewis once came upon a, a discussion at a conference where people were talking about you know, how would, what, what, what makes Christianity different? And these guys were debating about the differences about what makes Christianity Christianity. 
And some people were arguing about the incarnation of Jesus. Others were arguing that it was the distinct teachings of Christ. And others were arguing about Christ's resurrection. And C.S. Lewis simply said, when he was asked the difference that Christianity made or what the, what the gospel was all about, he said, oh, that's simple. It's grace. And we can look at the world religions today. We can look at Judaism. If you've heard that with Jewish ears, it wouldn't make sense because the, the belief is that we can be reconciled through acts of repentance, good deeds, or a life of devotion. That's not the gospel. We can look at Buddhism. It believes that you reach heaven or achieve nirvana by following an eightfold path to God. Hinduism, salvation is reached when the worshiper is freed from the cycle of reincarnation and his spirit becomes one with, with God. And then Islam, Muslims believe that salvation comes to those who obey Allah. And they emphasize about giving to the poor and, and going and, and, and doing a Mecca as far as um, uh, a trip and everything else. And folks, all other religions talk about things that people do in order to receive salvation. And the gospel, grace, flips all of those doing on its head. And it's not what we do, it's what Christ has done. That's grace. It's not us. It's what Jesus has done. So you have the ping pong ball. And here's what happened this week. I started thinking, Lord, give me an illustration that would help everybody understand what grace was. And um, I, thought about, I thought about a ping pong ball. And I thought about how, how, how can I illustrate God's riches at Christ's expense? And so I started Googling. The first thing I Googled was how many ping pong balls would fit into a football stadium? And then there was nothing out there answering that question on Google. But I did find a site that talked about tennis balls. So then I started reading this site, which I thought it was interesting. I've, I've not like officially interviewed like some of you have to do. And, and I, I'm told that like sometimes when you go for an interview, they'll ask you like a, a crazy question. And sometimes they'll ask you a question of like, how many tennis balls do you think will fit in a football stadium? And they really don't care about your answer as much as how you come to that conclusion. And they want to kind of hear your reasoning. I never heard that. I'm glad I would, I would have, I don't know, I would have failed that interview, okay, because I wouldn't have known how to even start. So I, I started Googling, okay, I started seeing how many tennis balls. So it says, how many tennis balls fits in a car, okay? 70,000 tennis balls fit in a car. How many fit in a limousine? 125,000. This is tennis balls, right? 125,000 in a limousine. How many fit in a school bus? 900,000 tennis balls fit in a school bus. Folks, I'm trying to help you in case you, you're interviewing this week, all right? I'm giving you the answers right now. Over 2 million tennis balls would fit into a normal school classroom. In a Boeing 747, 11 million tennis balls would fit in a, a Boeing 747. And then in a football stadium, 3.5 billion tennis balls. And think about that, that stadium filled with tennis balls. And I thought, you know what? God's grace is, is more than just 11 billion tennis balls in a stadium. It would be overflowing. And, I thought, and that's where I said, hey, ping pong ball. So if I ever have a question about a math question... 
my go-to person is Dwight Ruley, who's over in Morocco, and he's a mathematician. I'd say, all right, here's the sphere, here's the, the formula, and I ask him, I said, how many ping pong balls will fit into a football stadium? If it's not Dwight, it's, it's Grayson, all right, uh, Beatty, and uh, he's off to college. And I, 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 so, so Dwight came back and told me that there's 9 billion, over 9 billion ping pong balls will fit in a stadium. All right, are you with me with my illustration? Nine billion. So let me give you the story that I thought of this week. Let's say that I love playing ping pong. Let's say that I play every day. Let's say that when I play, there are times when I crack my ping pong balls. So I step on them, I lose them, my dog chews them, and I go through quite a few ping pongs on a daily basis. And I need ping pong balls. Let's say that I have a very generous friend that sees my plight and he happens to own the world's largest ping pong factory. Let's say that I live right next to a football stadium. Let's say that he says, I'm going to fill that football stadium with over, what did I say, 9 trillion or 9 billion ping pong balls. And all you have to do is if you want a ping pong ball when you play every day, all you have to do is go over to that stadium and ask them for a ping pong ball. And I'd get a ping pong ball. Folks, here's the question. Can I step away from this? I can't. Here's my question. Would I ever run out of ping pong balls if I had a friend like that and I had a stadium like that? I had a, I had a, a huge reservoir of ping pong balls. Would I ever run out of ping pong balls? Yes or no? And can I tell you this? Every illustration breaks down at some point. And I started looking at how many football stadiums are there across America? And there's a lot of football stadiums. Do you know that God's grace would never exhaust not just one football stadium, but all the football stadiums, and not if the whole world was filled, and it's not even the ping pong balls? I could have asked you to write grace on some BBs this morning and try to put that many BBs in a stadium. And, and here's the point, folks. When it comes to salvation... God's grace is overflowing and will never, ever, ever reach the end of God's grace. When it comes to our fight for sin and your need of God from heaven, you will never run out of God's grace. It's always going to be there and it's always going to be overflowing and it's there for your asking. And as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to realize that illustration. And this week, if, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you think, oh, I've done all these things. I just don't know if God could save me and rescue me. God's grace can rescue your soul from hell. And if you're fighting sin like we all fight sin, you're like, how can I do it? How can I have victory? Grace is the word because we can only live the life and be the person that God calls us to be only by his grace. Titus chapter 2, let's look at this particular passage. Three truths. Number one, God's grace rescues us. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This isn't teaching a universal salvation. It is teaching a universal opportunity. That if you're here this morning without Christ, God is willing that none shall perish. And I don't care what you've done in your past, I don't care what your history is, God, by His grace, is willing to forgive your sin and to cleanse you and to save and rescue your soul 
And, and when you die, you can be absent from the body and you can be present with the Lord. Chapter 2 and verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us, to, to buy us back. We needed to be purchased. Redeem us from all lawlessness or iniquity and then to purify himself for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works verse 14 he gave himself no man took his life from him he he voluntarily gave himself and he voluntarily gave himself for us his death was a substitution we deserve the death we deserve the hell we deserve the 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 hell and the punishment but he died for us. He took our place. He saved us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and positively that he might purify unto himself a people for, for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I've got many things to say, but um, second truth this morning, God's grace changes us. God's grace changes us. Two questions for you, and I want you to answer this out loud, okay? We are saved by what? What's the word? Okay. The second one's a little harder. We are changed by what? Say it. We're saved, we're saved by grace. We're changed by grace. And so often we say, oh, yes, it's by the grace of God that we've been saved. Guess what? It's only by the grace of God that we are changed to be like him. It's not that we muster in our own energy and it's all about us and us transforming ourselves. It's that God, nine billion ping pong balls resource at your disposal that you can say, Lord, I need help with my sin. I want victory. I want to be more like you. All of heaven waits to help you live the life that he's called you to do. And so often as Christians, we struggle in sin and struggle in sin and struggle in sin, and we do not rely on, on the grace of God to change us as we ought to be changed. Verse number 12 here talks about this truth here. Grace trains us or teaches us. And this is where I'm just going to kind of, I'll make some notes here, but it teaches us what we're not to do. We're not to be ungodly. That's anything not like God. We're not to be like that. We're not to have or to give in to worldly lust, all the desires of this world that are not fit for heaven. Um, the Christian life tells us what we're not to do. Grace helps us to not to do those things that we're not to do, but grace also helps us to do the things that we are to do. It teaches us what we are to do. We are to live soberly. Five times this word is mentioned in this book in Titus. Self-controlled, temperate, and disciplined. And folks, if you're self-controlled, temperate, and disciplined, and it's all about you and not God's grace helping you, you're going to fall. You're going to fail. But by God's spirit of helping you to live soberly, that we might live righteously. That is doing what we ought to do. That's to keep our obligations to other people. That's to say if you're going to say you're going to do something, you're going to, you're going to do it. You're going to do what you said. And that's by God's helping you and enabling you to do what you're supposed to do. And that we're to live godly. 
And it says specifically in this present age. Because there are, there are people in this present age that do not know the Lord, do not act like they know the Lord. And the Lord says, I have redeemed you. I want you to stand out. I want you to be different. I want you not to do these things. I want you to do these things. And when all of that happens, I'm going to give you my grace to help you live the life that I've called you to live. And I thought about this as I studied this week and specifically last night. As a result of this, there's five, I think there's five pastoral admonitions that I want to share with you this morning. Um, number one, we need grace in our church. In every epistle written by the Apostle Paul, he starts off in the New Testament epistles, grace and peace. And he mentions that in every New Testament epistle, which was written to churches or to someone who's in leadership over a church. And folks, that's not just a generic greeting. It is a greeting. But guess what? Every one of those churches needed God's grace to do that which was encompassed or stated in, in that New Testament epistle. And in 2021, folks, if we're going to live the life, if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we're going to need God's grace in doing that. So as a church, we need God's grace. Number two, we need grace in our suffering. Life is not without hardships and difficulty and suffering. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Verses 7 through 10, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from be becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, weaknesses, so that the, by the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And we heard this morning that Jathan shared about his family. When, when, when the Richards go through what they go through, they need God's sustaining grace. And if you go through whatever you go through, physical, emotional, spiritual, you need God's sustaining grace to help you this week. Number three, and this is all a reflection of God's grace, we need grace in our giving. We need grace in our giving. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And I thought this morning, you know what, there's probably at least three types of givers this morning. There are those who will come and you'll give, as this passage says, that you'll, you'll be a cheerful giver. You'll give as, as God wants you to do because it's by His grace. And you acknowledge that, that anything you have, it's by God's grace, and you are a cheerful giver, and, and, and this world doesn't have possession on you. 
there's a second and a third type and there's probably more types a second type would be people who don't give at all and you can argue with me about tithing but I'm talking about generosity and I'm talking about that God has blessed you so much and that grace is seen in your life that just as God was a giver you're a giver and if you're not a giver then it's either one of two things that you're not allowing the grace of God to flow through you or the grace of God has never touched your heart and then the third type is those people who give and they give as if they're under the law they give because they feel like there's pressure they they give because like it's oh I have to do this and folks, what you need is you need God's overwhelming grace to say, you know what, this is not mine. God's blessed me, and I'm just going to give with a cheerful heart. Folks, we need to have grace reflected in our giving. And quite frankly, when that happens, Community Baptist Church can touch more lives. We can have more missionaries. We can, be, we can make a greater impact in our community as well as worldwide. Number four, we need grace in our service. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. We teach here at Community Baptist Church every member a minister. And there are times where some of our workers and our leaders come up and they'll make announcements and that we need help, we need help, we need help. Some of them probably would stand on their heads and ask for help if that would help. But you know what we need here more at Community Baptist Church than anything else is that we have people who are filled with grace, who realize that God's given them an opportunity and a gift, and that they just say, you know what, God, I want to use that gift. And if we had that, I believe that every ministry need would be met here at Community Baptist Church. Could we pray for God's grace to be evident where, where our nurseries and our children's workers and our youth workers and in, in all aspects that, that God's grace is abounding. And number five, we need grace in every aspect of our lives. I put this one because I thought, all right, I might have missed something. I don't want to miss anything. You know what the Apostle Paul said at the end of his life in 1 Corinthians 15? In verse 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And my brothers and sisters, when we stand before the Lord, or if anyone ever compliments you, you have to realize, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's all God. It's not, it's not me. It's not you. It's God. It's by his grace. And no matter what your challenges are, you need to realize it's grace. It's grace. Grace will save you and grace will enable you to do that which you cannot do. You think, I can't do that. It's beyond me. And you're, you're right. I, I never thought about this. And I've said this verse and I, I've said this verse this last week in, in the Lord last night gave me something else to finish this verse you, you help me out okay the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is what 
Yes, the flesh is weak, but you know what? God is strong. God is there to enable us when we look to him. Yeah, the spirit indeed is willing, and yes, the flesh is weak, but God stands by his grace to empower us, to help us, to live beyond what we can do by ourselves. And when we do that, folks, God gets the glory. Because it's not you, and it's not me. It's what God wants to do through us for his glory and for the good of man as we minister and love and serve other people. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but you're under grace. And God with his enabling strength and his enabling power, his overflowing Strength to give us, we can live the life that He wants us to live. And the third truth from our text this morning God's grace makes us long to be with Jesus. All the goodness of God, all the, all the pleasures, all that we enjoy, it, it's just here, here on earth, and it's just like we see through the, the, the light dimly, and it, we don't really get it all, but there's one day that we long to see Jesus. We believe He's coming back, and we're going to be with Him forever. And because of grace, we long for that day. We look forward to that day. We, we, we just cannot wait to be with the Lord because of grace and what he's done in our hearts and our lives. And I close with an important truth. I think maybe the most important truth because I want you to make sure that you understand grace. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're saved, we are to be strengthened by God's grace. We're to be enabled. We're to be empowered. We're to have God's riches at Christ's expense. We're to have all of those riches at our disposal to use to live the life that he's called us to do. And you think, well, how do I access God's grace? Is there a phone number I call? Is there a magical prayer that I'm to pray? And here's what I would say. When you got saved, you, in your heart or with your lips, you called out to the Lord and you asked him to save you. And he saved you by his grace. And folks, if you're struggling with sin, which we all are sinners and we all struggle with sin, the way that we access that help, that grace, is we call out to the Lord and we say, Lord, I need your help. Here's the verse in James chapter 4 and verse 6. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the, what's the next word? He gives grace to the humble. Lord, I'm in need. I'm struggling. I'm overwhelmed. I'm fighting sin. I'm losing the battle. Lord, I'm humbling myself and I'm calling out to you to help me with my battle towards sin. And, and folks, he's not going to run out of grace. He's got the power. He's, he's got everything we need if we'll just humble ourselves and cry out to him. And say, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I'm going to ask you some questions. And then you're going to answer with one word. 
You know what that one word is? What's the answer to our laziness? What's the answer to our lust? You're not acting like you believe this, folks. What's the answer for us when we worry? What's the answer for our unfaithfulness? What's the answer for lack of generosity? What's the answer for a judgmental spirit? What's the answer to being unloving? What's the answer to our being unforgiving? What's the answer for an ungodly anger? What's the answer for impatience? What's the answer for unkindness? Thank you. You did well. As I close this, I did another Google search. And I thought, you know what? What are some businesses that have gone bankrupt? The 10 biggest retail bankruptcies of 2020, and some of them I, I didn't include them all, but J.C. Penney, Neiman Marcus, is that how you say that? Neiman Marcus, Joss Banks, Ann Taylor Loft, Pier One, and Steinmart. There's other ones. I don't know what all that means. I don't know how all that business works. But I did think about this, folks. Do you know that God will never go bankrupt when it comes to his grace? It's there for the asking. God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. You have struggles in your relationships with your home. You know what you need? You need grace. You need to be a better husband, a, a loving husband. You know what you need? You need grace. You need to be a kind wife. You know what you need? You need grace. You need to be the proper church member. You know what you need? You need grace. And our question this morning is, will we humble ourselves and will we ask him for his grace? One verse, and then I'm going to pray. Think about this. And we quote this verse, and we hear this verse, and we see this verse, and we, we apply this verse to all kinds of things, but do we ever apply it to his grace? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. There is nothing, no sin, no problem that grace can't overwhelm and help you live the way that you ought to live by his grace. May we ask the Lord this morning for his grace. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, musicians will come. But would you consider humbling yourself this morning before God? Ask him for his grace and his help with your laziness or with your lust, or with your worrying, or your lack of faithfulness, or your lack of generosity, or your bad attitude, or your judgmental spirit, or being unloving, or unforgiving, or ungodly anger, or your impatience, or your unkindness. And perhaps you'll make a decision today about God's grace, and it might be that you get this ping pong ball and you might make a date and you'll say, Lord, this is the day that I'm asking you to help me, enable me and strengthen me to live my life by the grace of God and for your glory.
May we, re, may we be reminded of God's wonderful grace. Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.